Welcome back to Night Falls, the bedtime show of classic and original stories designed to guide you into a calm and peaceful sleep. I'm Jeffrey, and tonight we dive into the history books as I recount a tale Wanda told me about Mary Reed and Anne Bonny, two women who fled a society that gave them no opportunity to live a free life on the high seas as pirates. Before we begin, here's a quick word from our valued sponsors who keep this free content possible. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For the best way to fall asleep with Nightfalls, you can now become a premium supporter. Enjoy the entire back catalogue of Nightfalls classics, all with a rich, immersive and totally ad-free experience. If you love falling asleep to Nightfalls, Nightfalls Premium will elevate your sleep while helping to support myself and the team. We love creating Nightfalls, but without supporters, it wouldn't be possible. Join Nightfalls Premium today in just two taps on both Apple Podcasts or via the Supercast link found in the show notes for all other podcast players. Your sleep will thank you for it, and so will I. If you've been feeling overwhelmed with anxiety lately, try listening to a guided meditation on the Meditation for Anxiety podcast. Meditation is a proven natural way to help you calm down and dissolve stress so you can feel lighter and happier. So subscribe for free today to the Meditation for Anxiety podcast by searching for Meditation for Anxiety on your favorite podcast player. Shadows were already stretched long across the clearing when my friends and I sat down for dinner by the campfire that night. Spring had flourished across nightfalls in the months prior, and whilst daylight stretched a little farther into every evening each night, the darkness receded hour by hour, waiting until past seven o'clock to push in, then eight, eight thirty, and someday soon we hope well past nine as nightfalls was toppled back into summer. Still, as night drew in, so too did my friends and I to the campfire. That day was the brightest we had had in a while. Devani, ever the adventurer, had insisted we haul the rowboat down the beach, tipped the old dried sand from its hull and set out to the lakes via the lazy river. Lyra had long protested that she hadn't the sea legs for boating. Our dear old friend had us half convinced she was better off with her feet rooted on land, surrounded by the flowers she planted and coaxed saplings from nightfall soil herself. But... That morning as Devani had expressed her desire to explore some of the lochs and lagoons that had gathered in the lower valleys, 
as the winter snow had melted, Lyra couldn't help but point us in the right direction. It seemed that Lyra was the only one who knew where to look for the seasonal pools. And although she certainly would never have volunteered herself for the role of captain, true to her character, she simply couldn't hide her expertise. It was in her nature to position herself as an authority, even over matters she had nothing more than a hunch about. Lyra knew the mountains much better than any of us, and simply couldn't help but school us on the waterways that ran through the mountain range in springtime. On occasion, I like to try and imagine meeting my friends as just a boy, when they were we themselves. I can picture us now in my old form room, desks lined up before the blackboard, textbooks stacked neatly on the shelves that lined the room. I know exactly what seat Lyra would have occupied in that classroom. I know exactly which desk she scurried to class early to secure for the morning's lecture. In my mind, she is always at the front of the class. She's top of it too. She raises her hand a little higher than her classmates and it almost pulls her from her seat. The teacher stopped calling on her after the first week of term. He already knows Lyra has the correct answer. He knows she has already raced through the textbook cover to cover and made extensive colour-coded notes. He knows because she has made a point of showing them to him and has since been entirely unwilling to share with the slackers who slump over their desks on either side of her. I imagine a young Devani would have sat beside the window and gotten herself in trouble every so often for gazing longingly out at the birds, the trees, at the seasons drifting by whilst she was holed up listening to a lecture on Pythagoras's theorem. Anwen never would have come to class, and if she did, she would turn up late without any offer of explanation. She might have gotten in trouble for it were her test grades not so high. I imagine my schnauzer Otto was one of the dogs that was always crawling through the gaps in the playground fence at break time, desperate to chase the ball my friends and I were playing rugby with. I like to picture him creating enough havoc that the entire class missed the first half of physics. I'd been so distracted by the image that when I drew my mind back to the present, Devani had already managed to convince Lyra we would never find our way without her. Devani reasoned that Lyra ought to come with us, lest we take a wrong turn and end up in a spot of bother. Perhaps, rather foolishly, we had assumed that the excursion would be a group one, and that Wanda would join us on our way downstream. When we called out to her, her nose buried between the pages of a book and toes still warming beside the campfire, she declined our invitation, 
Why have I not? Duverney called out. It's such a beautiful day, Wanda. Oh, I better stay here and make sure the campfire doesn't go out. The bookworm excused herself, looking more than a little flustered when laughter bubbled out of Lyra for the first time all morning. That won't hold, I'm afraid, dear, she said, regaining her composure before she went on. It's eternally burning. There's no need to tend to it. The magic does that for us. Well, Wanda scrambled for another excuse and came up dry, which doubtless was how she hoped to stay that afternoon. I'll stay here just in case you never can know what might happen, she muttered, poking her nose back between the pages of her book before we could argue our case any further. The day was a gorgeous one. Devani and I were at the oars, and Otto kept Lyra company by sleeping soundly on her lap. The water ran crystal clear off of the mountains. Most of the snow had melted by then, and all that was left was glacial. The water from the very highest peaks ran right into the river that carried us from lake to lake, and through the valleys on its back. After a long day on the boat, the magic of nightfalls was kind enough to give us a nudge back upstream toward the clearing. When we arrived home, the day had almost entirely washed away. As we dragged the rowboat back up the beach, we found Wanda sitting and reading in precisely the same spot we had left her. I don't think she even noticed our arrival until we gathered back around the campfire and Lyra pecked her gently on the cheek by way of a hello. She did set her book aside when I dished up the dinner, a citrusy, summery green curry, one she had told me she liked before. When my friends and I finished eating, and were clearing away the plates, I couldn't help but ask, Wonder, what are you reading that's got you so transfixed? Wanda had been quiet for much of dinner, her mind still caught up in the world penned between the pages of her book. Thankfully, she was keen to talk about it, and with the firelight shining bright in her eyes, twining with the passion that could always be found in their brilliant dark depths, my friends and I were more than happy to listen. I'm not entirely sure where it might be best to begin. The story starts with John Rackham, better known as Calico Jack, captain of the Kingston. The Kingston was a small, swift ship he commandeered for the sole purpose of pirating when he was first starting out. If you ask me though, the tale doesn't really get interesting until Anne Bonny refuses the hand of the local man her father promised her to. Or Mary Reed is born a woman in a world where everyone, including she herself, would have much preferred to be a man. 
Wanda had a talent for storytelling, a way with words that made even stories like that one, grounded in fact and historical evidence, sound magical. Even when the best boats were still made of wood that would rot in the water, and pushed along by sails that tore at the seams in storms, life on land still managed to provide many with enough motive to take to the seas. A sailor might have joined the navy to make ends meet, and turned to piracy when he realised that that was all he would ever be able to do on a naval wage. A couple might have sat across the sea ready to build a life on their own, and landed in the West Indies, out of money and in desperate search of work. Perhaps like Mary Reed, raised with all the freedoms that boys were, it seemed only natural to join the military and then to turn to piracy when she found that outside the law there was even more liberty to be taken. Lots of people found themselves in the West Indies with the first wave of misguided European exploration. Thankfully, the heroes of this story took no part in that. This tale begins long after. The island had been laying quiet for quite some time when the pirates rolled in. The abandonment of the three archipelagos, and in particular the Bahamas, left hundreds of islands with inlets and alcoves, caves and coves, the perfect place for one looking to take up piracy. There were more coves to take cover in, and more corners to hide behind in the West Indies than anywhere else on earth. For that reason, the Bahamas became something of a Republic of Pirates. The little time those pirates did spend on land, they spent in Nassau on Providence Island. Many had begun their careers as privateers with licenses and warrants from the government to engage in battle in defence of their country's interest. Doubtless, Many of those privateers felt like pirates long before they turned their backs on the law and went into business for themselves. What followed was something of a golden age for piracy. A set of rules known as the Pirate Code was even established and followed to the letter by all ships that changed over crew in Nassau Harbour, docked for repairs or came in to load up on supplies. The document was kept concise, for pirates were not generally rule-abiding types. Among those that were stated perhaps the most notable were 1. Every man has a vote in affairs and equal entitlement to fresh provisions and strong liquors. 2. Every man was to be called fairly by list for their share of the prizes. 3. If a robbery occurs betwixt one man and another, then the perpetrator is to be set back on shore alone. 4. 
No person is to game for money with cards or dice. 5. The candles are to be put out at 8 o'clock each evening. If any of the crew remain inclined for drinking after that hour, they are to do it on the open deck by the dark of night. And finally, to the great disappointment of Anne Bonny and Mary Reed, rule number six, no boy or woman was to be allowed amongst them. The Republic of Pirates was short-lived and was largely extinguished in 1718 when a bid to regain control and order over the Bahamas, the British government offered pirates operating in the West Indies clemency if they were to abandon their activities. Many did just that, taking the offer of clemency as an opportunity to start afresh. Captain Calico Jack was not one of them. Adventure had a way of finding John Rackham. Trouble always followed close at his heels. He kept company with it and swore to anyone who would listen that he always would. By all accounts, Calico Jack was smart enough to know he couldn't outrun it and chose to live with his past rather than let it chase him into eternity. I think for that reason, Rackham kept on pirating long enough to run into Anne Bonny, who was through with running herself. Fresh out of County Cork, Ireland, where she'd been promised to a penniless farmer by her father, there wasn't a single soul Anne Bonny would allow to make decisions on her behalf anymore. She had defied her family's wishes and instead married a sailor named James Bonney the very same day as she had refused to walk down the aisle in her hometown. That sailor was just as penniless as the fella her father had chosen for her, but he did at least seem kind, and he was of course bound for the Bahamas in search of work, which suited Anne Bonney rather nicely. Anne wanted out of her tired town and out of the family that had been so ready to hand her off. On their journey to the West Indies, she learned enough about James to know that she didn't want him as hers. James was kind enough, but she couldn't bring herself to care for him. Anne was fury, whereas James was placid and always happy to follow orders. Any orders, it seemed, save for her own. Anne learned to sail by James's hand. When they finally found their way to the Bahamas, it wasn't long before James joined a new crew and set to work, leaving his young wife to her own devices on a beautiful island in the West Atlantic Ocean. It was there that Anne Bonny first came to know Captain Calico Jack. They met in a tavern long after dark when the candle wicks had almost burned out and the wax had nearly melted entirely. They talked for hours after into the dark and long after daybreak. For the first time, 
Anne felt as though she might have found someone with enough passion to match her own. Someone who would fight with her. Against her. For her. In John Rackham, she had found a man who would never call her too much when she raised her voice, shed a tear, called him wrong, or expected better. In Calico Jack, she had found a match. She was sure of it. A man who would be the first to admit she was a better sailor than him. As was customary at the time, Calico Jack offered to pay Anne's husband to file for a divorce. Anne Bonnie's husband said no. Jack and Anne ran away together with no promise between them. No money and nothing but broad smiles and the clothes on their backs. He was charismatic and able to drum up a crew of his own with little trouble. He might have struggled. He was not known for being the greatest sailor, but Calico Jack made Anne Bonny his first mate, and none could deny her sense for the seas. In gathering his crew, Jack came across one Mark Reed, whom history would later reveal as Mary Reed of England. Mary already had enough tales to last a lifetime when her path crossed with Calico Jacks in Nassau. Indeed, the peculiarities of her upbringing were decided upon before she had even drawn her first breath. Not 18 months before her birth, Mary's mother had married a sailor with whom she bore a son. The sailor deserted the family not long after the boy was born. Mary's mother soon struck up an affair that resulted in Reed being born out of wedlock, not before her young son had passed on due to an unknown ailment. Upon her birth, her mother thought to disguise Mary as the boy, so she could continue receiving financial support from her wealthier paternal grandmother. Mary was raised and thrived as Mark. She continued to live as a man of her own volition long after the passing of her grandmother. For a time she worked as a servant and later made her way to Flanders where she began serving in the military. Mary excelled in the military. She was strong and brave and brilliant under pressure but her secret bore heavily on her, particularly after she had fallen in love with another soldier. Showing bravery of a very different kind, she confessed her feelings and her truth. The soldier, feeling much the same, married Mary not long after the pair were discharged. Together, they opened an inn near Breda in the Netherlands, Unfortunately for Mary, her life was not as nicely settled as she would have liked. When her husband passed on and the world proved to be just as tough a place for a woman alone as it had been before she married, Mary reverted back to living as a man. She knew the truth of it. The world wasn't tough for a woman alone because the woman was weak or incapable. 
It was tough because as a woman, she had been treated differently. Offered less and more was expected of her than ever had been in the years when she had worn breeches and kept her hair short. As a man, Mary took to the seas. When the ship she had found sailing work on was seized by pirates, she made the best of her situation once more and became a member of their crew. Life as a man had shown Mary the freedoms that were already afforded to the opposite sex, for the rules that governed men and women at the time were not the same. When she joined the pirate crew, still disguised as a man, she learned what life could look like when there were no rules at all, save for the vague ones scrawled out in the pirate code. There was a brutal justice to life as a pirate. If you did wrong together, then all those wrongs became right. But if you did wrong to a fellow crew member, you would pay the highest price. In that way, respect was maintained. Boundaries were set in place, and largely, her life buccaneering in the Bahamas was a happy one. In 1717, when the royal pardon was extended to any and all pirates in the Bahamas who set down their activities, Mary's ship was among those who surrendered. Mary wasn't quite ready to let go of that newfound freedom though, and that is when her path finally crossed with the equally ambitious Calico Jack and the fearsome Anne Bonny. The pair were gathering a crew in Nassau, and Mary sought a place on board their ship. It took a long time for her to finally trust she would be accepted as a woman amongst the crew. Even when the Republic of Pirates had disbanded, and the pirate code banning women from working on board was abandoned, she kept her secret close. All writings on the matter point to the crew knowing the truth about Mark Reed long before Mary felt safe enough to tell them herself. One day, months after they had first set sail, when he stepped aboard as she, no one thought to mention it. No one thought to fuss. Thankfully, the same prejudice that governed society on land couldn't reach them at sea. Wanda finished her tale, her eyes even brighter by the firelight. So transported had I been by the story that I had hardly noticed the night deepening around us. Perhaps we could take the path of time back to see it, I mused. If we go now, I'm sure we can make it by sunrise, Devani agreed, coming to her feet. No, 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 I'm afraid this one is not your tale. Lyra stopped us. This is Wonder Story, and if you hadn't already noticed, she much prefers her adventures to stay tucked between the pages of a book. In any event, Wonder interjected, it's much too late for all that now. The only thing left on the agenda for today is a good night's sleep she said as she closed the book 
came to her feet and bid Devani and I good night. Lyra and Wanda made their way home, and suddenly the longest day of that year so far had me feeling rather worn out. Devani and I slipped into deep dreams easily that night, no doubt both chasing over the same horizon in our sleep.